All right, you there in Romans 9? Welcome to Romans chapter 9, perhaps the hardest uh, Bible or the hardest chapter in the New Testament. And it answers this question or addresses this question, is God sovereign in our salvation or is man responsible? The Jew would say yes to both. It's us in the Western mindset that we want this either or, either God's sovereign, the Calvinism, or man's responsible, which would be more Arminianism, and uh, this, is, this is how the Jews think. They'll put the same doctrine right next to each other without making any apologies whatsoever. So in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But as many as received him, that sounds like responsibility. I answered the call. I received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Okay, that sounds great. But then the next verse says this. Who were born, or born again, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It wasn't my choice, if you will, but of God. So you back up this and you go, oh, as many as received him, that's my responsibility. Jesus Christ says, come unto me, all who will. All right? You're weary, you're tired, you want forgiveness, come on in. So I respond. But then it says, but when I do, it was of God. That's, that's, the re, that's the sovereignty of God. That it's by grace that you're saved through faith. And that's not even of yourself. It was given to you as a gift of God. So God sovereignly moves even in the salvation experience. Then two chapters later, Jesus said, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whosoever believes, again, going back to my responsibility. So I would be really concerned about this doctrine if I didn't know the heart of God. If I thought God was some miserable, awful king who just couldn't wait to squish me like a bug on a windshield, I'd be concerned. But look at what it says about God in 2 Peter chapter 3. God's long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That, and yet we are responsible when that call goes out to answer the call. As it says in, in Matthew 11, come unto me all who are, who are weary. As it says in John chapter 7, at the, the, when he said, you're thirsty, come unto me. Out of your innermost being will gush forth rivers of living water. And then again... Jesus, like we shared last week, Jesus said, you know, I've tried so many times to gather you under my wings like a chicken, like a mother hand gathers her young, but you weren't willing, throwing it back on us for responsibility. Look at this in verse 6. This is where we start, Romans 9, verse 6, and I want to share the, the issue here. But is it not that the, that the word, or I'm sorry, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they're not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because of the seed of Abraham. So here's what he's saying. Saying, look, all the covenant, everything we studied last week, the covenants starting with Abraham and Moses and King David and the promises. Remember, there's over 7,000 promises. And even the delivering the Messiah through the nation Jews, the, the, the most persecuted group of people in the history of the world. And in all this God did in those first five verses, he goes, wait, with all of that, how come Jews aren't believing? How, how come? 
God did all that, so shouldn't they be following Jesus Christ? But the thing is, no, the question is, can God deliver on his promises? Verses 1 through 5 was great. All about the covenants, the promises, you know. But can God deliver that? If he says, I'm forgiven, how do I know I truly am? And here's this, what Paul is saying is, just because someone was born a Jew doesn't mean he believes like a Jew. That's, that's the bottom line. So with that, we're going to break up four pieces. This chapter is one of the hardest in the New Testament. But may God give us wisdom and insight and the heart of the message. What does his sovereignty mean for me on a daily basis? So I pick it up and read it from the New King James Bible, chapter 9 of Romans, verse 6. Already started it. It's not that the word of God has taken no effect. For not all Israel who are of Israel, they're not all children just because they're the seed of Abraham. Remember, Abraham had Ishmael, who became the father of all the Arabs, the Muslims. And then he had Isaac, the son of, the son of promise. They're not all uh, that. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, that would be Ishmael, those are, they're not the children of God, but the children of the promise, that would be Isaac, they're counted as the seed. Now, remember, Abraham's about 100, his wife Sarah's about 90, and God promised, I'm going to do it through you. For this is the word of promise. At, that time, at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have her son. Again, 90 years old. It was impossible, but not for God. Not only this... But when Rebecca, okay, Rebecca married Isaac, the son of promise. She gets pregnant with twins. So Rebecca also conceived by one man, even our father Isaac. For the children not yet being born, they're still in the womb. I love how God calls them children, not fetuses. For the children not yet being born, having not, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. So it doesn't, doesn't matter what they've done or what they're going to do. It's God's choice is the, the, the issue here. So it was said to her, said to Rebekah, the older, Esau, is going to serve the younger, Jacob. And as it is written, Jacob I've loved. But Esau, I've hated. Now, you might read that and go, I hate his guts. That's not what it means, okay? So, let's go back. There's two rejections taking place. The first was the nation Israel rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ. We go to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, into Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 30. When Jesus had been, he had healed a blind man. Also, he couldn't speak. And it was a miracle that the Messiah would do messianic miracles so what happens is this delegation the nation israel sends a delegation to investigate and, and their their specific commands was you need to investigate is he truly the messiah are these miracles legit we cannot afford to be wrong you can't either is jesus the messiah check it out you can't afford to be wrong there's eternal consequences. So they go there, they go, you know what? The miracles are legit. 
So this delegation goes, is this guy really blind? Yes, he was blind from birth. He really didn't speak? Yes, he didn't speak. And lepers are being cleansed? Yes. And demons are being cast out? Yes. And all these miracles, it's, there's, it's, it's undeniable. The miracles are happening. They are legit. There's one problem. We don't want to bow to Jesus. I, okay, he's doing miracles. I'm just not going to see him. I want to live my own life. So what do you do with the miracles? You have proof they're legit. So watch this. They say the miracles he does by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And it's at this point Jesus said, careful. You're about to cross a line. Because God is showing you proof after proof after proof that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet no matter what God does, you're saying no and blaming it on something else. You are guilty, you're getting there, of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's at this point Jesus said, you know, any sin that you commit can be forgiven except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit shows you proof after proof that Jesus is the Son of God, He is God the Son, He's the Messiah, and you go, no, and then you blame it on Satan, He goes, you're guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That sin of unbelief, no matter what God shows you, you're crossing a line and you, you won't be able to get saved. So it's at this point... If you're familiar with the Gospel of, of Matthew, at chapter 12, this delegation is sent, prove and you know, make, make sure this is the Messiah or not. They reject him, which stands nationally. This stands for the rejection of the nation of Israel, their Messiah. Chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus shifts his entire ministry. Now he starts speaking in parables, the sower and the seed. And they're going, why, why are you all of a sudden teaching in parables? Because hearing, these people aren't listening. They're turning a deaf ear to God, so now I'm going to speak in parables. Now, so again, the first rejection was the nation Israel rejects Jesus as Messiah. A hardening in part has happened to Israel. This is from Romans 11. People can still get saved. Jewish people can still get saved. But as we'll see in chapter 11, right now, God's emphasis is on goyim, us outlies to the Jews. And in chapter 11, he'll turn his attention back to the nation Israel, of course, during the seven-year great tribulation. So the first rejection, the Jews reject the Messiah. Now we read at the second rejection, God rejects Esau. So... When, when you read this in verse 13, Esau I've hated, don't you struggle with that? Don't you go, couldn't he have used different terminology? I mean, come on, make it a little bit more palatable, easier to digest. He says, no, Esau I've hated. See, what he does, uh, <laughs> is this not your favorite bumper sticker? Wouldn't that be weird? Come to the North Shore Christian Fellowship, and instead of loving God and loving one another, we just write, Esau I have hated. Boy, that'll attract the crowds. And so what, what's going on here is that God rules. He leaves nothing to chance. And, and to back up a second, what's going on is, oh, in these verses 10 through 13, remember Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. She's now pregnant with twins. We know it's going to be past 
from Abraham down to the Messiah, the lineage, the torch, if you will. And so it's not like God goes, oh, wow, I wonder which twin will carry the torch. I wonder if it's going to be Esau or Jacob. God says, I don't leave anything to chance. I have already chosen, and it's going to be Jacob. Esau, when he says, I've hated, that hate here has two meanings. I, honestly, why don't you choose another word in your translation? But this is challenging. So the first one means hate, but the second one means love less or even to be disinclined. You see, when we think of love and hate, we think of emotions and, and making a choice based on emotion. They're not doing that. They're saying, no, no, no. He's using this Hebrew figure of speech that pins together these two absolute opposites to stress what he's saying in, in the contrast. He's not saying, I love one and I hate one like we would think. It's rather, I choose one and I reject one, just like that's how they think. Now, before we go too far with that, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, if we don't, quote, hate our parents, we can't be his disciples. You know, wait a minute. <laughs> that sounds like it contradicts Scripture because Scripture says I'm to honor my mother and my father, not hate them. Do I honor them when I'm muttering under my breath? No, it's like, it's to love less in this idea. It's like Jesus is number one. Jesus is, that's who I surrender to, and everyone else, every other love relationship comes after that. By the way, when it comes to Esau, and people just write him off like, oh, God hated him. No, the Bible points out God really blessed Esau, blessed him mightily. So when it comes to sovereignty of God versus responsibility of man, our problem is that we're trying to understand this infinite, eternal God with our pea little brains, our finite little brains. You might as well try to put the entire Pacific Ocean in a coffee cup. You know, I can't conceive of that happening. That's what we're trying to do when we're trying to understand this infinite God who has all knowledge, all wisdom, and always operates in all the above. So with that, let's go to this next one, God's sovereignty, how he gives mercy, beginning in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? No way. Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whomever I have mercy, have compassion on whomever I have compassion. Now in context, remember Moses said, God, would you show me your glory? How cool would that be? And before God does, in Exodus 33, he says, I'm going to have mercy on whoever I choose. I'll have compassion on whoever I choose, whomever. And then it goes on. So then it's not of him who wills, nor of him who, has, who runs, but of God who shows mercy. He's just trying to see, say, it all begins with God. He's the one who has mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I love this, I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills, 
he hardens. Well, that's going to get harder. That's going to get more challenging. Here's God's, God's sovereignty, and he has mercy. All right? Next, he's going to have, he hardens. But here is mercy and grace defined. We've done this before. Do you remember the difference? Because it's important to understand grace is getting what I don't deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness. Neither do you. It's very simple. I can't say, Lord, you know, I crawled on my knees on broken glass, so I deserve forgiveness. Jesus prayed, Father, if there's anything they can do, I don't want to go to the cross. You know, that person is like, I've lived a good life. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What do you mean? Well, Jesus came for sinners. Maybe you're not one. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Are you lost? Or are you just priding yourself on how good you are? I mean, it's not, not the goal of, let's see how bad you can get. But grace is, is uh, getting what I do not deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness. You cannot earn it. It is a gift. But mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what I do deserve. So one is a gift, and one is taking something back. So mercy, I, I, um, I deserve hell. I deserve God's judgment. I deserve wrath. But in mercy, God says, ah, I'm going to do that to you. All right? Now, when I feel I deserve mercy, you ever done this? You know, God, I've been pretty good lately. <laughs> I think God chuckles. Really, I haven't noticed. I've been doing this and this and this, and I think you owe me. God doesn't owe me anything. He gives me. And so if I think I deserve mercy, I got it all wrong. It's a gift. It's something that cannot be earned. Now, when he says, I'm going to have mercy on whomever I will, why do we think that's strange? Why do you think you can have mercy on whoever you will? But God can't. He's got a different standard. So right now, you might look, you, maybe you got some extra money and you want to give it to something the Lord's doing. And you're aware of what, how the Afghanistan Christians are being treated. And you want to support uh, and, and help that cause. Or, or the f hurricane in Florida, the, you know, what's going on in Haiti. There's just needs everywhere. And, and, you know, you just go, you know what? I'm going to choose this one. I'm going to support that. I don't know. I just feel led to do that one. You just had mercy on whomever you wanted to have mercy. You can walk down the street and see five, six, seven homeless people and all of a sudden go, you know what? I'm going to help this one. You just had mercy on whomever you want to have mercy. You had compassion on whomever you had compassion. Now, when God does that, do you raise a fist? That's not fair. God said, I'm just doing what you do. I, I'm going to give mercy to whomever I want to. Now, when, Abraham, when, when Moses said, God, show me your glory, and that's in Exodus 33, and God says, I'm going to show mercy on whomever I will. But in Exodus 34, when, remember, Moses was in the cleft of the rock, God covered him up. The very first thing God said is, I am God, the Lord God. I am merciful. Meaning, if, you, if I need to know something about God, at the top of the list, he's a God of mercy. He operates in mercy. I like that about him. Again, 
If I didn't know God's heart, this doctrine would scare me. But instead, it's a blessing. So in the context of talking about mercy, hey, let's bring up that subject. You know, I raised up Pharaoh for my purpose. If you were Pharaoh, you think you'd like hearing that? I, I personally, I think this is news to Pharaoh. I think Pharaoh would go, excuse me, I earned this position. I worked my way up in the military. I went to the university. I did the hard knocks. I paid my dues. I earned this position. And God said, I gave you that position. I placed you there for my purpose, for my people. You see, in Psalm 75, it says this. Exaltation comes neither from the east, or the west, or the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. So here's the bottom line. What he's saying, Pharaoh, <laughs> like it or not, you're being used by God for his purpose for his people. I don't like that. Well, he's God. He can do that. He's sovereign. He's in control. And I say, I'm glad someone's in control. All right, so from there, we go to our next portion, verses 19 through 24. Verses 19 through 24. Now, this is the, the gulp part, okay? You'll say then, well, why does he still find fault if he's that sovereign? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one a vessel for honor, another a vessel for dishonor? He's saying, he's going back to, remember Jeremiah the prophet? I want you to go to the potter's house and just watch. I'm going to show you a lesson and how the potter forms what he wants to make out of that clay. And so here Paul's borrowing from that going, why are you finding fault with the potter, God, because we're just the clay? So then, in verse 22, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and, and that he might make known riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for glory, even us on whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Guys, at best we're going to scratch the surface i admit this stuff goes way deeper than than i uh, could understand or could even address in, in one sermon but this is what we're trying to do god hardens some hearts in particular now he's going to talk about pharaoh in exodus where moses confronts the pharaoh let my people go exodus 20 times it mentions Pharaoh's hardened heart. Okay, 20 times. 10 times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. The other 10 times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God confirmed. That's your position. I will confirm that. I will honor that. It's like he's honoring Pharaoh's decision. You're rejecting what I want to do. I will honor that. You're saying no. I will honor that. See, God will honor your decision. Some here today, or maybe most, have sur surrendered to Jesus Christ, and God has honored that. But maybe you're here, 
and thus far you go, no, I just resist, I find fault, blame it on Beelzebub. God will honor that. That's a scary thought. So here, God honors the hardened heart of Pharaoh. Now, in John 12, it says this, and this might help explain it. Verses 37 and 39, the Gospel of John. Although he had done so many miracles, so many signs before them, they did not believe. It's like, again, no matter what God does, no matter what Jesus does, they say, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He raises Lazarus from the dead. I think I'd believe. His own sister, Lord, it's been a while. The guy's going to stink. Remove the stone. No matter what he does, feeding at the 5,000, cleansing of lepers, the man with the withered hand is straight. It's functioning now. And every time they go, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. So no matter, although he had done so many miracles, so many signs before them, they did not believe. Now watch this. Therefore, a few, few uh, phrases later, they could not believe. Well, that's scary. How does that work? You know, they abused their choice. They abused their logic. It's so obvious God's moving. I mean, you've got the Holy Spirit backing him up. You've got the Holy Spirit tugging on hearts. This is true. This is real. Surrender. And they go, no, 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 to finally their heart becomes so hard they couldn't believe. It doesn't matter what you show them. So how does that work today? Does it happen today? And for that, we go to the knitting community. Now, I'm not a knitter. And you should say thank you. I actually had a roommate in college. Remember Kelly? It's a guy. And we, we had nicknames for each other. We called him Sittin' Knittin'. Because he thought, he taught himself how to knit, and he'd go to the middle of our college campus and start knitting, thinking he's a babe magnet. The only girls he would attract, I'm, anyway, I'm not going there. But uh, we would beg him, please don't tell anyone you're our roommate, okay? This is not cool. But he'd do that. And then so for Christmas that year, he made his dad a sweater. So we all go back to Bowie, Maryland, and having Christmas. And I asked his dad, hey, <laughs> you going to wear that sweater to work? When are you going to tell, tell him that your son made it? He said, I'm going to tell him my Kelly made it. But leave that out of the park. Now, I don't care if you're a guy and you knit. I, just a joke. Just the warped humor many years ago. But the, sitting, the, the thing about knitting, which I've never done, I understand it's like knit one, purl two, whatever that means. And at first you're going, man, this is challenging. This, I, I am so, and you're working on it and working on it. What happens in time after repeating the same thing over and over, you can watch TV and not even think about it. Knit one, purl two, knit one, purl two, knit one, purl two. It's become automatic because this response has become now a programmed response. You don't even think about it. You just do it. That's how some people are rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord. At first, it might have been, it's kind of hard. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm not going to do that. Blame it on Beelzebub and just go on. And then like, Remember the, the smoking commercial from years ago? 
this kid was like fifth grade or something, smoking in the bathroom. Do you remember that? <coughs> he just coughs all the way through it. And the commercial said, remember your first cigarette? Was your body trying to tell you something? I don't care if you're a smoker or whatever. That, it's not going to send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you lived there. That's all. But the thing is, it's like at first it was so hard. And, and after a while, because it's so repetitious and you're not even thinking about it, boom, 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 to where they could not believe. You hear about Jesus, you hear about creation, give me a break. You hear about, the, oh, that's, that's nonsense. That's how they got to a point where they could not believe. So that brings us to a section beginning in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 9. As he says also in Hosea, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, I will call them my people who were not my people. That's good news. That's me and you. The Goyim, like I said, the Howley version of to the Jews, foreigners. I'll call them my people who are not my people. I'll call her beloved who is not beloved. This is good news. And it shall come to pass in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah, here's another prophet from the Old Testament. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as sand of the sea, the remnant... Maybe you've heard this expression, God always has his remnant, his smaller group that he always saves. The remnant will be saved. For he will finish, there's where we got our sermon title. He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work uh, upon the earth. Isaiah said, unless the Lord of the Sabbath, oh wait, I think... He said, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Well, I'm glad that didn't happen. So here's, he will finish the work. Responsibility, sovereignty. Because he wants to see people like you in heaven. I love the song we did this morning. You're going to have to help me with the, the lyrics. You didn't want to see, you didn't want to have heaven without us. Remember that? You sang that. So you brought heaven down. I am so glad. God says, you know what? This place is empty. Let's get some people in here. And instead of going, no, nah, we're full. They're a bunch of cranky people, needy people. He, didn't, he said he was moved with compassion. And, and so you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. This includes the Gentiles, which all through the Old Testament, that was a foreign thing. See, the Jews were so biased. There was racial prejudice uh, at that time, like, Gentiles? Are you kidding me? Those guys are disgusting. They just live in sin. They're just, they're so far away from God. They thought they're never going to get saved. Actually, even in the Old Testament, God said, I will save Gentiles and this Jewish remnant. They'll come together and form the church in the New Testament. But I like this in verse 29. Unless God had moved... Uh, we would have ended up like Sodom and Gomorrah. So here, in theology, they call it possible worlds. There's all these possible worlds. Like in this possible world, I'm a Howley living on the North Shore. 
and I, I'm a pastor. But in another possible world, I could be in Nigeria and a shoe salesman. Another possible world, I could be in Vietnam and doing something over there. These are all these possible worlds, and God looks at, at, we're trying to understand the mind of God, but it's as if he looks at all these possible worlds, and he goes, that's the one. He chooses the one that is perfect, that everything works according to his will. Even he knows what could have been. It's one thing God is all-knowing. All he knows what will happen. He knows what could happen. King David was running for his life from King Saul. And he's tempted, I, I think I'll go to this one town. I mean, I've done a lot for them. I think they'll be good. And, and he prays, Lord, if I go there, will they hand me over to King Saul? God answers, yes. If you go there, they will hand you over. And so King David says, fine, I'm not going there. God knows the what-ifs. That's why his heart is broken when often he'll go, I wish, I, I would want my people to have a heart in them that would obey me because then it would have been so good for them. God knows more than just the what will happen. He knows the possibilities. You see, he is sovereign. He knows all these things, and that's why I can trust him and surrender to him and say, oh, you know what? kind of complicated for me. I'm going to follow you as my good shepherd. How about this? The sovereign God can keep you from sinning. You go, well, what if I want to sin? There's plenty of times God takes a step back and says, you know, Mike, <laughs> you got to do that. You're going to suffer for it. Like in Jeremiah the prophet, God says, I don't have to correct you. Your own backsliding, your own consequences will correct you meaning there are consequences for sin. But in Abimelech, he was the king of Gerar, G-E-R-A-R. -E and this is where Abraham, we're going way back to the, the father of the faith. He's an old man, his wife's an old lady, but she's beautiful. I mean, she's like... Ah. And so they go to this land of Gerar, and he goes, Abraham, the father of faith, goes, okay, listen, <laughs> you're way too beautiful. Have you ever told your wife that? <laughs> You're way too beautiful. I am out of my league. And she goes, yeah, you sure are. But uh, anyway, that's a whole other. But then he goes, you're so beautiful. I'm scared they're going to kill me so they can have you. So let's lie. And they enter a pack of deception. They, they agree to lie. And so they go there and they go, yeah, this is my sister. How cool is that? Abimelech the king takes her into his harem. Doesn't touch her. But he's thinking, she's a free woman, and I'm going to marry her. One night, God appears to him in a dream. How cool is this? And scares the Hades out of him. He goes, hey, you're going to die. <laughs> Can you imagine? Have you ever had a dream? You're going to die because you're in sin. And he goes, Lord, what, what are you talking about? That woman that you're going to have, she's a married woman. Hands off. He goes, Lord, in the integrity of my heart, I've done this. I am innocent. And God said this, I know you're innocent. And I know you're operating in the integrity of your heart. I have kept you back from sinning against me and against that whole nation. 
I think that's pretty cool. God in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, can say, you know what? That's as far as it goes in this relationship. I am cutting up. You are not going to sin. Now, when that happens, I'm thinking maybe you're going right now, ah, that happened to me before. When it happens, you go, got it, right? I wanted that. But later on, you say, thank you, Jesus. So here's God. He is so sovereign, he can keep you from sinning. So now we end with the, with the responsibility of man, beginning in chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? He's trying to summarize all this. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, remember, not just 10 commandments, 613 commandments, they haven't obtained to the law of righteousness. Why? Verse 32, because they didn't seek it by faith, but as it were, by works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, that's in, in uh, Jerusalem, I lay in Zion a, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So this is, let's make sense of this whole thing. Responsibility comes down to don't stumble at the stumbling stone. Here's Paul saying, after all the work that God has done, the Jews came along and they stumbled at this. The Jews were trying to be good enough to get in heaven. They thought, if I just keep all 613 commandments, I'm in. Rather than understanding those commandments are given to us to prove we can't keep them, that we need outside help so the Gentiles get this, and they become righteous because they turn to Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line. If taken to the extreme, Say we take sovereignty to the extreme. What happens is we become a bunch of robots. We're just programmed. We have no, no will. We're like the dolls of old. I'm dating myself, you know, but dolls used to have this string you'd pull in the back. I love you. Oh, that really got me going. You know, just programmed. The next thing recorded, the next thing. It's, it's all predictable. If you take sovereignty to the extreme, extreme, you're just a robot. You have no say in it. Now, if you take responsibility to the extreme, you got God's on the sidelines, anxious to see, oh, what is she going to do? What's he going to do? Now, that's why it's both of these are active in your salvation. I personally am glad that God's in control. <laughs> you thought the president was in control. You thought the Russians, no, God is in control. All right? The heart of the king is like water in God's hands. He can move it however he wants. I love this. I've used this before. I use it for emphasis now. In Psalm 29, verses 10 and 11, it says this, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. So if you're picturing this, the flood on the earth, people are dying. It's going crazy, affecting the whole world. It's in chaos. God's, I'm in total control. I'm sitting on the throne. I'm ruling over. Now watch this next verse. The Lord will give strength to his people. 
The Lord will bless his people with peace. So I'm asking you, oh, I see his is misspelled. Sorry about that. I'm asking you, are you experiencing peace right now? Uh, do you have strength right now? Because you might be overemphasizing the pandemic and everything that's going on wrong. You know, I look at the southern border, I go, you got to be kidding. We're letting in criminals and terrorists and sex trafficking and drugs and all this. And, and hey, let's, let's give them money too. Are you serious? And, and then you think gas was $2, something like that a, a year ago. They're saying, watch, it's going to be 5 or $6 soon. And it's just spinning out of control. And, and it's like this fear has gripped this, na this nation, this world. Are you one of them? Uh, are the outside circumstances determining what's going on inside? Because God, the one who's sovereign and in control, he said, I'll give you strength. I'll give you peace. He's the Prince of Peace. This is so good. I'm glad he is sovereign. I'm glad he's in control. And that's why he can work out Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good, for those who love God, those who are according to His purpose, called according to His purpose. How, how does that work? Because He's sovereign. He knows what He's doing. He's perfect. His ways are perfect. His, his Word is perfect. Now, this is how it happened to me this morning. On, Friday, on, on Sunday mornings, I like to get up early and, you know, restudy, tweak, whatever. Usually everything's done, but... Uh, I get up and I'm working on my PowerPoint or on this computer and I realize I left my power at the office. And I'm so bummed. I, come on, I live a block away from them. It's not going to kill me. But I'm just so bummed. Why would God allow that? I have to get out and go over there. And, and so I go. And you go, hey, here I am. Oh, I get there and there's my closure. Heads up the child's ministry with his, with his wife. One of the most faithful workers we have. Just had a hard, hard week. Worked last night till he couldn't see anywhere. It was so dark and didn't get done and trying to get caught up over here. And just got to pray with him. And I thought, how cool is that? I'm, I go from being so inconvenienced to, wait a minute, I got so encouraged by Mike, and I thought, God, you did that. In your sovereignty, you arranged that whole thing. You see, he's sovereign, and over every single day of your life, if you go with the flow, so I'm glad he's in control. When he goes, so what shall we say then? We're landing the plane, folks. Is God sovereign? Or is man responsible? The Jew says yes. We're trying to either or, compartmentalize. This is what 2 Timothy says. This is Paul writing to his, his best bud, Timothy. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of the Lord stands having this seal. And he lists two things. He says, the Lord knows those who are his. That's sovereignty. God is not freaking out. <gasps> are they going to accept me? Oh, what's going to happen over here? But then, that's sovereignty. Now, for responsibility, he says, let, let, let everyone who knows, or I'm sorry, and the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 
That's my responsibility. So if I claim, yeah, I go to the church, I go here, and I, I know Jesus, and he's, have you departed from iniquity? Because that's your responsibility. I can't do that for you. Now, in Philippians, it says this. Here's another verse on sovereignty and responsibility. Work out your own salvation. What? Some people are trying to work out everybody else's. Some people are waiting for somebody to do it for them. It says, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is it me? Or is there a lack of fear and trembling in America today? And then it says this. That's responsibility. But it's got to work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's sovereignty. God says, yeah, we're in this together. I will put that in your heart as you work that out. When we get to heaven, I love this. Pastor Chuck Smith would always say this. You're going to go, and there's going to be a sign over the door. And the sign's going to say this, enter in, whosoever will. Big invitation. So then you go through the entrance. You go, and you turn around, and on the back part of the door is, you didn't choose me. I chose you. One's responsibility, one's sovereignty. I don't understand it, but I know it's there in the Bible. Jesus will have an effect on your life. Watch this scripture. Don't stumble at the stumbling stone. He said that's what the Jews did. In Matthew, Matthew 21, Jesus said this. Whoever falls on this stone, meaning Jesus, he's the rock. You fall on him, he'll be broken. But if he falls on you in judgment, you'll be ground to powder. Well, I like the first one better. I like the first one better. But the the, the idea is Jesus will have an effect on your life. This is why. Look at it this way. They didn't nail Jesus to the cross because he fed 5,000 people at a time. They didn't nail him to the cross because he, he was healing everybody or that he was casting out demons or, or that he was cleansing lepers. They nailed him to the cross because he told them they were sinners. They needed to be forgiven. They needed to surrender to him, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Now, Jesus says to us, he knows my condition, he knows your condition. You don't have to explain it. He knows exactly where you've been, what you've been doing. And he still says, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy, heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. A nice bed will give you rest for your body but not for your soul. Jesus promises something that only he can deliver on, forgiveness and rest for your souls. Guys, you can leave here this morning knowing God is sovereign. He can rule over or he rules over every little detail. But we're responsible. We respond to him and say, I am so thankful you are in control of my life, that you are in control of this world, that in the midst of this chaos, I can have strength, I can have peace because I have a relationship with you. That's the God we serve. And he says today, come unto me. Some people think that's a one-time experience. I think it's daily. Come unto him for the living water. Come unto him for new mercies. But come unto him. As we're, we're going to close in song. Maybe you're here and you're going, I could use some strength and some peace. He's got it. I could use a better awareness that God's in control because 
I'm the one that's always complaining, why is this going wrong, this going wrong? I don't see that it's part of his plan. I'm the one who needs forgiveness. I'm the one who needs wisdom. Come unto him. Let's pray. Father, who are we? We know so little. I pray this morning you would increase our faith, increase our strength, our peace, that we could go from this building with the resolve knowing you are in control and I need to respond to that. Grant us a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.